Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Good morning. It is good to see you. I'm glad to be back on the stage for after two weeks. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? Even if you didn't, just lie to me. I'm good with that, all right? Just lie to me. Make a pastor feel good. But it is good to be back, and we're starting something this summer. I'm excited about it. But I want you to picture this, okay? I want you to picture this. You're sitting on your couch, and it's a Thursday night. And for some reason, you have nothing to do. And I know for some of you, that is fantasy world, okay? But I want you to join me. You've got nothing to do on a Thursday night. You're sitting on your couch, and you're looking for something to watch on TV. So you're flipping, right? You've done this before, right? We're flipping. What am I going to watch? What am I going to watch? Maybe it's through Netflix, whatever, whatever. But you're flipping through. What is the show that when you see it, you have to stop? What's the show for you? You're like, you're a sucker for it. You just, if it comes on, you're stopping and you can't do anything about it. I've got a couple. Okay, I got a couple. One of them is a show, a movie called Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Now, I want to remind you, I'm watching it on TV, okay? So anything in the movie that pastors shouldn't watch, you can't hold against me. I'm watching on TBS or TNT, okay? So Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've seen this before. Pretty simple. Um, a man gets charged with a crime he didn't commit, right? He, he's, he's committed a, a murder. He's charged with murder. So he has life in prison. He goes to prison, and, and like you would expect, it doesn't start out very good. He's not sure what to do. He's, he, he's obviously not feeling good about this situation, but at some point, he makes a decision. At some point, he decides, I'm going to do some good while I'm in here. And if you know this movie, he, 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 he helps a guy get his GED. He helps a, another guy named Red. He, he helps some guards. He, he, he helps build a library. These things, right? Like, he decides, I'm going to do some good while I'm in here. Now, teaser alert, the whole time he's doing this, he's also chipping away at his wall so he can eventually sneak out, and the movie ends with him on this beautiful beach just scrubbing a boat, and I guess that's who does the rest of his, rest of his life, whatever. But I like this movie, I like the concept, I like the characters, I like the idea of that he's making good no matter what life has for him. He's, he's deciding, and even though it seems like life is against him, even though it seems like he has nothing good left, he decides, I'm going to continue to do good. Now, the reason I share this concept, the way I share this movie, is because this is kind of the scene or kind of the setting that we're going to sit in this summer. See, we're going to be reading a letter together that um, a guy named Paul writes while he's sitting in prison. Because Paul, throughout his life, finds himself in jail after his life after his life change of following Jesus Paul ends up like being unashamed undeterred of sharing the good news of Jesus and the Romans the government the people in charge the authority they hate this so he finds himself in prison now while he's in prison he ends up writing four letters he writes Ephesians Colossians, 
Philemon, and then the fourth one, the one we're going to read this summer, Philippians. Now, I know the guest speaker last week kind of touched on some parts of Philippians, but we're going to take a little deeper dive into what's going on in this letter. And what we see in actually the letter that Luke wrote called Acts, we see that Paul is sitting in prison in a city called Caesarea. He's in a city called Caesarea, he's sitting in prison, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and it seems like he's getting frustrated because he's sick of waiting to see what's going to happen with what they've charged him. So what he does is he does something called, he appeals to Caesar. He basically says, Caesar, I want a judgment, and they grant him this. So they put him on a boat in Caesarea, and they send him to Rome. Now there's some stuff in there, but the boat ends up being shipwrecked and different things. But he eventually gets to Rome. While he's in Rome, I want you to picture this. He's sitting in arrest, chained to, um, chained to prison guards six hours at a time. They would rotate six hours at a time while he's in prison, while he's waiting for his ruling. Now, while he's sitting there in Rome, he still doesn't know, am I going to be in here forever? Are they going to let me go? Are they going to kill me? He doesn't know, but this work goes back to what I shared about the movie. He decides, I'm not done. He decides, while I'm in here, I'm not just going to sit here. And that's why I say he wrote those four letters. And what we have is this letter that he wrote to people in the city of Philippi. Now, we're going to jump into this letter for the next eight weeks. But I want to remind you, in order to truly understand the depths of what is in Scripture, we have to go to in the context in when it's written. In order to understand, we have to read in the mindset and the setting in which it's delivered. Recently I had a conversation with somebody, and I said, Hey, when you read the Bible, don't read it as it is. Try and read it as it was. When you begin to read it, not just as it is in, in our culture, with our language, with our understanding, with our stories, but you begin to read it in the way it was, you will begin to see the really good stuff that often we miss. So, with this being the first week of this series in Philippians, can I give you some context of this city and how we got this letter? Now, some of you, you're going to love this because there's some history involved with this. And some of you, you're going to be tempted to be like, I'm out. Like, I just check out. I'll wait for the good stuff. But can I remind you again, in order to get the really rich stuff, we kind of have to get the setting and get the picture of what's happening. So let me tell you, this city is in Eastern uh, Europe under the rule of Rome, and it's named after a man. Can you guess what the man's name was the city, uh, city of Philippi? Philip? We're smart people. Okay, Philip. It is Philip of Macedonia. He was Alexander the Great's dad. That's who this city is named after. And the city ended up being a place where people who were ex-military, they would send them to this city. So you can imagine the, what this city would be like. Now, Paul, 
he had no desire to go to this place. He had no plans to go to this place. He actually was headed somewhere else on what we say is his second missionary journey, the second journey where he's going to plant some churches around 50 AD, but he had no desire to go to Philippi, but all of a sudden it says he has a dream or he has a vision while he's in this place called Troas. And in this vision, in this dream, a man from Macedonia is pleading with him, please come and help us. So, I imagine it's the next day, Paul says to his travel companions, Silas, Timothy, and maybe Luke, he says, change of plans. Change of plans. We're not going there. We are going to Europe. We're going to Philippi. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we see that when um, they arrive, they go and they're trying to find a synagogue. But what they find out is there is no synagogue. So that tells us there's not a lot of Jewish people there. There's no synagogue. So he goes down to the river. And down here, he finds a woman named Lydia. He begins to share the message of Jesus to Lydia, and she believes this message. She believes the good news of Jesus. And she, along with it, we believe a bunch of other women are converted to following Jesus, and the first church ever in Eastern Europe is formed. Now, this isn't just any church. It seems that Paul has a unique relationship with this church. You can, you're going to see over these next several weeks that he really loves these people, and, 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 and he approaches them in different ways than he does with other letters that we see. He doesn't actually come from a place of correction. He comes from a place of appreciation. He comes from a place of love. He comes from a place almost like a pastor is encouraging them to live in joy, to live what they've been called to live out when he met them. And so here we are back to the beginning. Like I said, Paul is sitting in prison. We think it's about 10 years later. He's probably known them for 10 years, and, and a man named Epaphrodites comes and he delivers offerings and, and support to uh, Paul. And he sends this letter back with him. Now, for many people, this letter is one of their favorites. You may not even realize it, but some of your favorite like one-liners, your favorite Bible verses come out of Philippians. Things like uh, Philippians 1.21, where it says, For me to live is Christ." and to die is gain, comes from this letter. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of vain conceit, uh, vain ambition or selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves 
Listen, this is an incredible letter that we're going to walk through for eight weeks. Paul had a word he had to share to those people in that church. But I think the same word that he's sharing with them brings value to us today. How are we going to walk through life as a church and as individuals? Okay, that's just a little snapshot of Philippians, but let's jump into this letter and see what he's got. So will you go with your phones, you got your Bibles, we'll fall on the screen. We're going to go Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, okay? 1, 1 through 11, let me read it to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so I've got a buddy at One Hope. I've got a friend at One Hope who many times through the week, he'll call me and he'll say, Scott, okay, what do we got this week? Tell me what we're reading. And then he'll go back and read and then he'll call me and go, okay, let's talk about it. This happens over and over. What are we reading? Okay, he reads it, comes back. All right, what are we talking about? Tell me. And it's actually good for me to kind of have a little dry run. He probably has to listen to me now preach twice, but whatever. But, but it's good for me to kind of flesh that out. Well, I give this passage to him this week. And he calls me the next day. He said, bro, what in the world are you going to get out of this? He's like, what are you, and I get what he's saying, because essentially he was saying, see, this is kind of like the opening of a letter. This is like the greeting of the letter. Like, what is it actually you're going to pull out for us this week? Because I'm just not sure, and I'm like, bro, I get it. But there are some nuggets of truth in here if we're willing to slow down. If we're willing to really kind of dig in, I think there's some really cool things in this. And how I break this down, how I read this, is I think there's three different sections of these 11 verses that lead to three really important questions that I think Paul would want to ask you and me. Three questions that we're going to have to look at ourselves and say, okay, what's the answer to what Paul is telling us? So, can I break it down into three sections, and let's work this through together, and at the end of each section, I'll give you the question. But this first section is really simple. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy 
people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers, seers, and deacons. Okay, stop. This is where one of those points you go, okay, what are you supposed to get from this? Like, he's just saying, what's up, right? He, no. From the very beginning, what we're seeing is Paul is not writing to an individual. From the very beginning, we see he's not writing just to the church leaders. We, from the very beginning, we see this is a letter for the whole church. And what he does is he speaks a word over them. Did you catch it? He calls them holy. To all of God's holy people. If you are around one hope enough, you'll know this is a big word, I think, through Scripture. That this word often has baggage that many people misunderstand what the word holy is. This, whole, this word holy is simply set apart, or set apart, how I think about it, for a greater way of living. From the beginning of this letter to the Philippians, I think he's affirming these people about the potential that he sees in who they can be, who they are. I think from the beginning, he's giving them a picture of who God has called them to be. I think from the beginning, he's giving them their true identity and their true purpose as the church of people who have said, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And if you say Jesus is the Messiah, then this is who you are. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that he's saying to them, you are a people set apart. For a different way of living he says to them what i think we all, what all needs to be what needs to be said to all of us a reminder to all of us it's not just that you're set apart it's how are you set apart who sets you apart that in your life, everybody wants to feel value, everybody wants to have purpose, everybody wants their life to matter. But I think the really important thing to be reminded is, where does that come from? How do you see yourself in life? It's not just that you're set apart, it's what sets you apart. Where do you find this identity? Where do you find this way of life? Remember, he is like a pastor. He is their leader. He is speaking to them, helping them, encouraging them, reminding them, forming them, building them up. And in that day, there would have been a common phrase. In that city, there would have been a common phrase. And that phrase is maybe something you've heard before. It's Pax Romana. Pax Romana. This is simply Roman peace. This would have been said quite often in their city. What these people in Philippi would have believed is that if being ex-military, being in, in that patriotic mindset, is that peace in life, the good life, comes from when the rule of their city is under Rome. Life is best when Rome is in charge. This would have been the culture of their city. 
Life is best when Rome is in charge. But then Paul writes to these people who are like sitting in the middle of this city, and he says to them, to God's holy people, in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and this word that they would have said in their city, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And to you and me, this may seem very insignificant. But this is why if you want to get the nuggets, you've got to slow down. And you've got to think, who is he writing this to? that I think Paul is even drawing a line in the sand for them. You are set apart for something different, for somebody different. That life is at its greatest peace. Life is at its greatest place. When you are not under the rule of this world and its government and its rules and its culture, but when you are under the rule and the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ. Insignificant to some, completely life-changing to somebody else. Life centered in Jesus calls them to live differently, to be found differently, to be in a purpose that's different than what they see around them. And just in these first couple verses, the question I think that Paul would want to ask one hope, would want to ask you, is do we believe we are set apart for a different way of living centered on Jesus as Lord. Do you believe you are set apart for something different? How we answer that question changes predominantly everything. How we answer that question will dictate why you wake up, the decisions you make, and what you think about as you go to bed that night. How you answer, are you set apart for something different, will change how you go about life. Do you believe, do we believe as one hope, that we are called to live lives that are set apart under Jesus as king. And if the answer is yes, what does that change? Because to be Christians in a, Ro a Roman-dominated city meant they had to make decisions that weren't popular, that weren't normal, that weren't in the flow of everybody else. They would stand out. What about you? What about us? Do we believe we are set apart for a different way of living?
Okay, section two. Section two. Verse four, it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I will always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so it seems that Paul has known them for maybe around 10 years. This is a guess. We don't know exactly, but this letter that he's writing is about 10 years later, and he's acknowledging to them, since he met them, since their church was started, he, they, they've been right by his side, supporting him. And here's the thing we have to remember. He can't say that about every church. He won't say that about every church. He won't say that about every follower of Jesus. You don't see that in every one of his letters. If you read many of his other letters, you'll see there's a lot of correction. You'll see there's a lot, there's a lot of get back into line. Get into shape. Get back to what I taught you. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. He, these people, they, they maybe question him and his authority. You'll see throughout the letters that he's got to speak to, hey, you've got to get your stuff together. But not this group. They have been together since the beginning. They've been with him since they started. But I want you to see in this that this idea of being together is not just a simple friendship. It's not just a simple belief that they believe the same thing. In this partnership, there's a tone of activity, a tone of activity in their partnership that if we don't recognize this, we miss how powerful this moment is. They have joined him They've been active in joining him of advancing the gospel as a church. And for them, this has come at great sacrifice. This is not something that has been easy for them. This sacrifice has come financially that they've been supporting him even personally so the ministry can continue. It cost them their finances. It cost them that on the outside they supported him even when he went to prison, even when people talked about him, even when these people like that would turn on them, they did not turn on him. That was a sacrifice. A sacrifice of being loyal to Jesus in their outward life in the middle of a city that did not agree with them like them that were persecuting them this partnership is so much more than just a friendship this partnership is oh you so much different so much more than oh we believe in the same thing have you ever had a friend that was just over the top and intense about everything. Have you ever had a friend where it just seems like they're just wound a little tighter than their other friends? In my phone, um, uh, several years ago, I met somebody that goes to One Hope, and in my phone it simply says the phone number and 
Kyle Jernigan. As we got to know each other, one day I changed in my phone. Now it says Kyle, always on 10, Jernigan. And it's a joke because on the scale of intensity from 1 to 10, Kyle is always on a 10. He has no chill in his life. And I've told him before, I said, you've got a little bit of Paul in you. Because when you look at the life of Paul, he is known for being intense. He's known for being the Bible word is zealous to what he believes life is about. And the reason I bring this up is because I think what Paul is saying to them is a super huge compliment to them. By him calling them a partner, by a person whose life is all about Jesus, all about advancing the gospel, all about planting churches, all about just doing what God has called him to do. Everything is about this. He is saying to them, you are right there with me. Imagine, what if someone says that to you? Like, you, I know I'm intense about this. I know my life revolves around this, but you are right there with me. Because of your sacrifice, because of how much you care about the church and advancing the gospel, so how much you care about me as a, a person and what God has called me to do, he encourages them that I have joy when I think about you. I have joy when I pray for you. And you need to keep going. You need to be confident. Because what God started in you what God is doing through you, he's going to bring to completion until the day of Christ. And I read this section. I read this part of his letter, and I ask myself, I want to ask you. I want to ask us, One Hope Church, would Paul call us a partner in advancing the gospel? How you live your life, how I live my life, us as a church, how you are following Jesus, would he look and say, you're a partner in this? Is this more than a place that we come to? Is this more than a belief system that we have? Is this more than just, hey, it's just what I've always done? in this place and outside of this place would he call us a partner do we believe we are set apart and under the lordship of Jesus which means we are called to living a life that's a little more sacrificial it's more than putting a Bible verse on Instagram and TikTok and our, and our Facebook, put on stories and put on our reels and like, look, I'm going to bring a Bible verse to you today. Is it more than that? Is it more than when this is convenient, I'll follow Jesus? Is it more that, than just, hey, it's what I believe, but it's never in our conversations? Is it more? When we believe that advancing the message of Jesus in this world matters. It changes how we live our life. It changes what we say yes to. It changes what we say no to. It changes what we give ourselves to. It changes what we give of ourselves. 
Would Paul call One Hope Church, would Paul call you, would Paul call me a partner? Section three, the last one. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me be very clear about something. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus. I don't care how long you have gone to church or not gone to church. We are never done growing. I don't care how old or young you are. We are never to stop growing in Jesus. And one of the big ways we see we're growing in Jesus is when, when our love is growing and abounding in life. And Jesus describes the love that's the most important is when we love God and when we love people. I'll be honest, the people I respect most in life are actually the people who are older in age. But I see their drive to love God and love people has not diminished. When I see these people, there's a respect that grows in me. That your love for God and love for people is still continuing to grow. Because we know that there's a reputation in culture. And I'm going to be offensive, but I don't mean to be offensive. Just hear me out. There's a reputation in culture that the older you get, the grumpier you get. <laughs> Do you still love me? In movies, you see this. In TV shows, you see this. It shows people. We've experienced this. That for, for Unfortunately, as people get older, it's described they get grumpier. I'm Watch out. <laughs> if you're watching online, I just got to watch out, all right? Like, I get it. But can I talk to two people real quick, two groups of people? For younger people in this church, we can make a decision now that when Jesus is our Lord, we don't ever have to get to that place. And I want to speak to, if you feel older, I'm not going to call you older, the people who feel older today, you have the chance to set the example for the younger people around you. Younger people watch. We see things. And you have an incredible chance to set the expectation for people who follow Jesus at One Hope Church that getting older doesn't mean it takes away from your drive and mission to follow Jesus. To get older doesn't mean that you are taken away from your heart for Jesus, being at the center of who you are. Getting older doesn't mean you have stopped growing. You have the chance to set the pace for people who are following you, that the reputation or the, the stereotype isn't true in your life. 
I think Paul is saying here, when we continue to grow and our love abounds for Jesus, two places you'll see evidence of this. And that is in our knowledge of Jesus and in our discernment in life. Our love for Jesus should push us to grow in knowledge of him. Later in this letter, Paul will actually write, chapter 3, he will write, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That Paul wants to continue to seek out knowledge, to understand who Jesus is. But it's not just head knowledge that we need to grow in. It's discernment, wisdom in life that I believe comes from the Holy Spirit. And I think what Paul is saying is we need to grow in knowledge, but also grow in discernment for what purpose? So you will know what is best. I think what he's saying to us is saying to them is that we will grow in understanding what really matters in life. That we need to continue to grow so that we can get to the place where we're becoming who God created us to be for our good, for his glory. And then Paul finishes this letter is that when we continue to grow in knowledge, when we continue to grow in wisdom and discernment of what matters in life most, then you'll be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with his righteousness. Now, can I just be honest for a second? I missed this line in my preparation, and my mentor had to bring it in. He said, Scott, you, when we're talking about this, he said, Scott, wait a second. That pure and blameless line is a really big line. He said, remember, for the Jewish audience, they knew that the offering that was expected from them was to be pure and blameless. The, the offering that was needed was this lamb, right? You've heard this before, this lamb that was pure without defect. This was the offering that they needed to bring. We know that the message of Jesus is that he was the pure and blameless offering without defect that died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. That no longer do we need to have um, a time when we give animal sacrifices as offerings. What we learn after Jesus is we are the offering. And the only way our offering can be what God expects is that we begin to be filled with his righteousness. We begin to be pure and blameless under the, the rule of Jesus. That this is where we need to get, but we need to grow in knowledge. We need to grow, our love needs to abound even in discernment of what is best, what is right, what really matters in life. So we give ourselves to this so that Christ's righteousness can make us that offering to God. And so the third question I think Paul wants to ask you, ask our church, is are we growing in knowledge and discernment? of how to live for what is best. Whether you are seven or 70 today, are you growing in your knowledge? 
Are you growing in your discernment of this is what matters in life? This is what's best. Listen, the city of Philippi was not done. Their growth needed to happen. Paul is just greeting them. And I get it. We could just look over this greeting and go, hey, he's just saying, what's up? Or maybe he's saying to them, you're not done growing. You are a holy people. Set apart for something different. And if you don't own that you're set apart for something different, then you won't have a desire to grow. And if you don't have a desire to grow, you won't advance the mission. And we can't be partners in this. So know who you are. Know who your purpose, what your purpose is. Know that 10 years ago when we planted this church together, when Lydia was converted and the people followed suit and the first church is there, you have learned who you are. You learned what life was about. And you've been a partner with me ever since. That you learned to build your life on the love of Jesus. Don't stop now, because that's your story. And I don't believe it's just their story. I believe it's our story. And I believe it's our choice. And I believe we have the chance to continue the tradition that started in the city of Philippi that was ruled by Rome, but these people were not ruled by Rome. They were ruled by Jesus. And it changed how they lived it changed what they said yes to. It changed what they said no to. It changed how they lived their every day. They were part of helping the world get to a place where we are a church today. And do we make decisions how we live our life, how we are as a church, so the future still has churches that are Jesus-centered, formed to worship Him because of how we live our life. Jesus dies on the cross he rises again. They learn about it. Their life has changed. Where are we today in this? They stood out in Philippi. What about us? So we're going to end in worship as we do. Maybe God wants to speak to you and say, hey, you've forgotten that you are set apart for something different. And maybe you need to give your life to Jesus so that you can find yourself under his rule, his reign, his authority. Maybe you have not been living a life where Paul would say to you, you're a partner in me, we're doing this. That because of your life, the gospel, the Jesus is growing in this world. Maybe. I want us to remind you that it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Keep growing in knowledge and discernment. Keep growing in your love. Don't settle for where you are today. Keep pushing yourself because there's more to learn. There's more to Him. And so as we worship, my, my, always my challenge to you is give to Jesus what He wants from our life. And you can always turn this place it, this altar's up here. You can come here. You can turn your seat into an altar. Maybe there's something you're bringing today and it has nothing to do with the message and you want to bring it to him. Well, will you end in worship this morning by remembering and listening to the words that Paul spoke to Philippi 
because I think we can be that church. So Heavenly Father, you speak to us through your word. You speak to us through Paul's words. And God, I pray that if there's something we need to change, you'll speak to us and we'll just give it to you. We want to be your church that changes the world. We want to be people who advance what started way back. So help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and pray? Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.